This is Jim Inkster, and welcome to Talk Louisiana, signature support from East Baton Rouge Parish Mayor President Sharon Weston Broom's office, and also the show originates from the Investar Tower in Baton Rouge. Your number is 877-217-5757. Emails to talk at talklouisiana.org. We begin on Friday Politics on WWNO New Orleans and WRKF Baton Rouge with Mark Ballard, who is in the Beltway. And Congress has approved a temporary spending bill to prevent a partial government shutdown this weekend. Speaker Mike Johnson, Republican Benton, Louisiana, forced again to turn to a coalition made up mostly of Democrats to clear it in the House, followed by passage in the Senate. The vote Thursday afternoon in the House was 320 to 99, with slightly more than half of Republicans joining with almost all Democrats to support the measure. And the Democratic-led Senate passed the bill 77-13 last night. Good morning, Mark Ballard. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it, uh, at least this puts us off for at least another week, probably three weeks uh, from yet another shutdown. Uh, but he but he's been getting a high praise. He uh, Speaker Johnson has been getting high praise up here for kind of coming up with a, uh, a solution that Democrats could join in, but that Republicans could also uh, approve. And standing up to the Freedom Caucus, the uh, the far right wing uh, group that have been causing problems getting uh, uh, Republican bills passed. So, and in the past, he was certainly in line with that caucus. Well, yeah, yes, he, he has been, but I mean, I think he's also a pragmatist as well, and he knows that he's he need he can't let the government shut down, and he needs to do something to keep the government going, particularly in an election year. Uh, so, I mean, he's basically stood up to those guys uh, for the time being, but there's still, you know, a lot to go. There's the Ukrainian funding bill, which uh, the Trump Republicans are very much against and uh, and which the Ukraine pretty much needs right now. I mean, they're they're getting close to running out of, uh, of supplies. Were you able to uh, get a, a tally on how our delegation voted on this, Mark? Uh, well, no, I tell you what, I can do that pretty quickly. So <laughs> I, I was looking that up this morning, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. But I can I can tell you that pretty quickly. How all right? I'm assuming that they uh, that they all kind of uh, uh, went along, but uh, went along with Johnson. But that hasn't always been the case. And as we note, the vote in the House was close. Uh, Republicans were almost even evenly split on whether to pass this. And most of our delegation, with the exception of Troy Carter of New Orleans, is comprised of Republicans like Clay Higgins and Garrett Graves and Julia Ledlow, Steve Scalise, Mike Johnson. So uh, Johnson, of course, I'm sure voted for his own bill or his own uh, compromise. Only only Higgins voted against it. Clay Higgins. Carter Graves. Johnson, Letlow, and Scalise all voted for for it. Uh, there was uh, 97 nay votes uh, among the Republicans, which was it's a substantial number, but it was uh, uh, 113 for uh, voted Republicans voted for it. 207 Democrats voted for it, and uh, and so that's how it kind of came yeah. Out. So it passed by an overwhelming margin. Now the Senate was 77 13. 
So did Kennedy and Cassidy vote for it? Um, I would imagine they did, but I don't know. Right. Uh, I, I would imagine they did, too. And uh, and my guess is that the, that they did do, but I'll have to look that up. Okay, well, we'll, we'll give you a little time to do that as we move along this morning. But uh, the New York Times yesterday reported that uh, Representative Hakeem Jeffries, the Democratic leader in the U.S. House, said he believes a, res- a reasonable number of lawmakers in his party will protect Speaker Mike Johnson from removal from his post if he allows a vote on a foreign aid bill that includes money for Ukraine. So is there a deal in the offing between Jeffries and Johnson? Well, uh, yes, he did float that, and, and the, the caveat is that will he bring that Ukraine uh but uh, will he bring, will Johnson bring that uh, Ukraine up for a vote? And that remains to be seen. Uh, he's not talking like he will right now. Uh, he also has to, uh, he being Johnson, also has to consider uh, that there is that significant wing of the uh, Republican Party that is very much against uh, uh, funding Ukraine anymore. For Mark Ballard, who for years covered the state capitol, and we'll talk a bit with him about what happened with Jeff Landry getting most of what he desired in the crime session. And uh, we'll hear from Tyler Bridges in a bit as well. But um, there is much percolating on Capitol Hill, as we know, and it is an election year. And Mitch McConnell the Senate Minority Leader, who, of course, uh, is largely responsible for Republicans getting who they wanted on the U.S. Supreme Court when he was the Majority Leader. He is stepping aside at the end of his term, which is still two and a half years away, but he'll leave his leadership post at the end of this year. What do you make of this? Well, I... When I watched it, I thought, for me, the uh, the, the telling uh, uh, quote that he did from his speech on the floor was uh, that he understood, I mean, that he has, what do you say, that he has lots of faults, uh, but one of them is not uh, politics, and uh, that he kind of read the room and uh, was like, that's, it's it's time, you know? <laughs> well, he, of course, is uh, like the president and the former president, uh, he is a man who's now in his early 80s, and he has shown the wear and tear. He had a stroke, and at times, two, twice, he's frozen and been unable to speak. I would imagine that if he had not made this decision, somebody might have made it for him. Well, you know, I, he, he is a master politician, so I'm unsure, you know, who would have made it for him. But, I mean, I, certainly he can see the writing on the wall and in and it did, you know, so. <laughs> well, and as, as uh, partisan as McConnell was and is, he is quite likely to be less partisan than whoever succeeds him. So the Democrats, who, of course, didn't care for him, may may wish he were there at some point because I suspect somebody more conservative than McConnell, especially if Trump's elected president, uh, will succeed him as the majority or minority leader and based on the senate races across the country republicans have a good shot of regaining the senate in 2024 
Well, they do, and that's in large part because of uh, what Mitch McConnell did uh, during the 2020 election and the 2022 elections that in which uh, Trump candidates were not very strong. And for him and McConnell, and then then the uh, the uh, uh, Donald Trump did not support the candidates that he uh, that he was pushing, and uh, that led Mitch McConnell to kind of jump in with his uh, fundraising abilities to help uh, some of those Senate candidates win, and so it kept the margins very close. It's uh, forty nine fifty one right now, but and it kept those margins fairly close and. Uh, and so they have that opportunity to take it in the 2024. The Republicans have the opportunity to take it in 2024. And I guess we'll just have to see how that goes. Uh, a large part of that. Yeah, we'll just have to see how that goes. <laughs> so. Well, McConnell, of course, um, has been around for a, a long, long time. He was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1984. And that was two years before John Berlinger Bro was elected to the U.S. Senate in Louisiana, succeeding Russell Long. Bro decided to call it a day in 2004. He left in January of 05 and handed hit the baton to David Vitter, which I'm sure was somewhat of a bittersweet moment for him. But John Bro today is 80 years old, Mark, 8 0. He, oh, wow. Okay. He, he had quite a career. And uh, never lost a race, and many thought he would run for governor, but he never did. Yeah, uh, I, I think that he always kind of looked at running for governor, but he also really loved the Washington give and take. And, and I think at least in my ch- chats with him is that uh, that he found being a senator was, you know, his best job. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, he was elected in 1986 to the Senate, but in 1972... He succeeded his boss, Edwin Edwards, in the U.S. House. Edwards had been elected governor, special election in September of 72, and Bro was 28 years old, became the youngest member of the U.S. House of Representatives, and he commented that he accented his, quote, experience when he ran. Most of the people that I was running against were old enough to be my grandfather or grandparent, certainly old enough to be my parents. And yet I had the audacity to print the slogan on the bumper stickers that experience makes the difference. And, of course, it aggravated the heck out of all the people I was running against because they said, how dare someone 28 years old talk about experience making the difference? He has none. Well, I was the only person that was running that had ever worked in a congressional office in Washington. I was the only person who had ever run a congressional office in the district, and I was the only lawyer that was running. I told the people in that first race that we were electing someone to go to Okay, we'll return after this. This is Jim Inkster. You're listening to Talk Louisiana, and we're visiting with Mark Ballard at the nation's capital, year number 877-217-5757. In just a bit, we'll hear from Tyler Bridges, who's been at the state capital. John Berlinger Rowe, born March 1, 1944, Crowley, Louisiana. He's 80 years old today, and he is a politician like few others in Louisiana lore. Went to work early in his career for then-Congressman Edwin Washington Edwards. And when Edwards became governor, Joe, uh, John Bro became a congressman and then a U.S. senator and is now a prominent lobbyist. He works with Trent Lott, who, of course, was a Republican stalwart on Capitol Hill. He, Bro, uh, graduated from... 
USL, University of Southwestern Louisiana, 1964. Law degree from LSU, 1967. He commented once, Mark Ballard, that when he won that race in 72, that he was in a debate, and it was a televised debate, and they decided to let the two candidates go one by one, and uh, he drew the second position, which, of course, is the most advantageous, and uh, he's in a room that where he couldn't watch the debate, but he saw there was a telephone, and he called a friend of his and asked the guy to put the his telephone up to the television, and he heard every word that his opponent said <laughs> and knew all the questions that were coming to him, and he said, I nailed it. I nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> he was all, he was always, always a, a great politician. <laughs> and a listener notes, and I think this is accurate, that his campaign manager in the year of 1972 when he was running for the U.S. House was a 22-year-old guy, Ron Fauché. How about really? that? Okay. I think that's accurate. I didn't know that. We'll okay. have to ask Ron about that, but I believe that is correct. Talk about two guys who conquered the world. They did it. 877-217-5757. Phil and Jefferson. Phil, good morning. You're on with Mark Ballard. Uh, good morning, Mr. Ballard. Um, listen, do you get the sense that the um, Republican Party is trying to destroy Social Security? Because I sure get this message in my emails every morning. All right. I think that's a bit of hyperbole, but when when you say destroy Social Security, even if you say something like Bill Cassidy says that we need to tweak it, that is viewed by some on the other side as, quote, destroying it. Uh, Mark Bauer, there are many ways to save Social Security. One, for example, would be to require that uh, income at any level be taxed for Social Security benefits. Right now it closes uh, at a certain level, and many Americans go above that level and they're not taxed for it their social security benefits. But uh, what about uh, the the constant? And this is where the Democrats, of course, use uh, politics to their advantage, saying that uh, the Republicans are going to take their social security benefits away from them. Well, that, that was uh, definitely the high point of last year's state of the union address. Uh, I wonder if it will be brought up on Thursday for this year's state of the union address, but uh, yes, it is a, a, uh, uh, an issue in which the Republicans are, are vulnerable because of their past. Now, I also agree kind of that the different ideas uh, for uh, continuing or rebuilding the Social Security funds are, are, are have been, you know, depending on who is, uh, have been called like it's going to be the end of Social Security or it's going to be, you know, massive uh, inflationary taxes. Uh, the, basically, the, the two main plans is uh, 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 one that's uh, being uh, pursued by a, a former insurance uh, uh, guy who's uh, from Connecticut, and he would be basically raising the taxes and expanding who pays the taxes. He's the Democrat. Bill Cassidy is uh, pushing the Republican plan, which would be to take some of this money and put it into a, a kind of a, a fund that would be investable in, uh, as many pension plans are. And then that would take care of the, uh, the shortfalls that is, are expected fairly soon in the Social Security. And it, depending on who is saying it, it, both of those plans have been criticized as horrific. <laughs> so. 877-217-5757 for Mark Ballard of the Advocate in Picayune. 
You're listening to Friday Politics on WWNO and WRKF. And you mentioned the State of the Union Address. That will be quite an event. Some might call it a spectacle, but there will be James Michael Johnson, pride of Benton, Louisiana, son of a firefighter who was uh, injured badly on duty. And uh, he uh, he's a guy with a blue-collar background. He went to Captain Shreve High School, and there he is. He's going to be sitting right there with the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, behind the President, Joseph Robinette Biden, Jr. Heady times for Mike Johnson. And who would have thought it a year ago, Mark? Well, yeah, I mean, he did kind of come out of nowhere more of a, a compromised candidate after they ran through three i guess it was three i, I lose count over time <laughs> uh-huh. of, uh, of, uh, of more seasoned uh politicians to run the, uh, the speakership uh so yeah i i too will be looking you know to see him sitting uh behind the president during the state of the union address if for no other reason than it's a it's a major moment in uh in american history Hal and Monroe asks if there's any chance that uh, Cassidy or Kennedy would be in line to succeed McConnell. I would say very little chance. Uh, the, I mean, it's going to be a fight, but they, uh, Cassidy has already made uh, uh, joined with other senators in a, in a way to keep the rules from having this sort of uh, breakout that you've seen in the House. It looks like it, they're called the Three Johns, uh, and boy, you trust me, one one is. Uh, John Cronin, the uh, former Supreme Court justice who's been on uh, from Texas, who has been uh, uh, the kind of the whip, uh, the right hand man of, uh, of McConnell for for several years now. The other is John Thune, who's second in command uh, uh, in the uh, in the U.S. Senate. And he's from South Dakota. Maybe don't hold me to it. And right. uh, then the the uh, the the kind of the most conservative of the group is uh, John Brasso. And, uh, but there's also talk about, you know, others becoming involved. Rick Scott from Florida, you know, says he wants, you know, is hinting it that he may run for it, you know? And so we do have, it, it is going to be a wide open field, but uh, it's not going to be as uh, wild as the house leadership is going to be. And neither Kennedy nor, Cassidy are in line for that. All right. But then uh, again, I would have told you that Johnson wasn't in line for it either. So, Well, I mentioned yesterday I get these unusual emails from John Kennedy, and of course he's sending them to a lot of people other than me and probably also to Mark. And there's so, there's so many of them. He's an incessant fundraiser. He's running for re-election, and his election, the next one will be in 2020. What is it, 2028? 2028, when he is 77 years old, and he's already raising money for that quest. But, but he sent out one the other day about uh, the president saying, this is, this is from John Kennedy. These aren't my words. He, we're talking about President Biden, is polling right up there, quote, with chlamydia. That's from uh, the erudite senator who was educated at Oxford. Uh, somewhat uh, inflammatory rhetoric uh, from John Kennedy, I would say, and not anything that's been unusual over the last few years. He seems to be taking it to a different level, though. Well, yeah, but th- those are, you have to remember that, that, that those are fundraisers, and those fundraising uh, uh, appeals, whether they come from John Kennedy or uh, Alabama Senator Katie Britt, they're all 
the over the top uh, and 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 incendiary in hopes that they will you know anger the the base and have them you know write out a check is what or well know. i guess uh, he and, wants them to write a check to fight uh, social diseases david in atlanta david good morning you're on talk louisiana if i may i'd like to point out that when george w bush was president he borrowed every penny he could for the social security trust funds to finance the war in iraq and to cut taxes for big corporations and the wealthy all right what's your um, question my question mr ballad is um, the president of Ukraine has um, said more than a million people will die if the United States doesn't receive military aid uh, from the United States. Now, last week on this program, I used a pejorative term to describe Mike Wilson, who's holding up the funds. Mike Johnson. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm in a hurry. I got the doctor. Okay, Mike Johnson. Now, Mike Johnson is holding up the money that could save a million lives. Now, I used a pejorative term to describe Mike Johnson, and you said you didn't agree. How would you describe someone who could be responsible? All right. What about Mike Johnson? We'll get Mark's take on whether this man who has good manners and is well-spoken is a nice guy. We'll talk more. This is Jim Inkster. You're listening to Friday Politics on WRKF Baton Rouge, WWNO, New Orleans. Your number is 877-217-5757. In a few moments, we'll be hearing from Tyler Bridges who's been covering the state capitol for over 30 years and session just finished and Jeff Landry is claiming victory, but we're wrapping it up with Mark Ballard. Again, your number 877-217-5757. Mark, what about Mike Johnson? You've uh, dealt with him. Uh, He's not, as you stated last week, been as accessible as Kevin McCarthy was. But uh, for those who know him, and he's been a guest on this show many times, he is a man who is uh, he's well-mannered, well-spoken, but is he the terror that some people like David in Atlanta think he is? Yeah, I don't I don't know what we mean by terror, frankly, but uh, but he's basically he has a point of view that uh, uh, many of his constituents agree with and uh, many folks uh, like David in Atlanta disagree with. He holds his point of view, uh, uh, honestly, I think, and, uh, and that is part of what uh, democracy is all about, is that uh, the arguments between uh, people with uh, opposing and often opposite points of view trying to work out some sort of uh, middle ground. Henry at the Country Club of Louisiana in Baton Rouge. Uh, I know he's been waiting a little while. Henry, uh, you're on with, you'll be our final caller for Mark Ballard. Then we'll go to Tyler. Oh, good, mo- good morning, Mr. Mark. Good morning, Mr. Jim. You know, I'm not a flamethrower, so I wouldn't normally ask this question, but since Senator Kennedy brought it up, has anybody run a poll comparing Senator Kennedy's popularity with Comitia? All right. Well, that was how Senator Kennedy... <laughs> Uh, describe Joe Biden's popularity. And um, Joe Biden will lose Louisiana, no matter who the Republican nominee is, and no matter who the Democratic nominee would be, they would lose Louisiana. And we've talked about this. Uh, It really comes down to uh, James Carville on this show a few weeks ago said it's a 50-state race when you're running for president. That is correct, but we know pretty much how about 44 of them will vote, so all the action will be in six or seven states and Louisiana is not in that number and neither is California nor New York nor F- Florida anymore 
or Texas, so uh, or Illinois. So there, there we, we, we really have most of the big cities in America, which will be totally neglected by the candidates, Mark. Well, yeah, and that is totally true as, as well. I mean, they are going to focus on those uh, seven, maybe ten states that they feel are going to be close. And uh, that's that's where the race will be. Those will be the states that decide because, uh, uh, you know, states like Louisiana have already made its decision. And uh, there's not much of a reason to put uh, uh, funding into those states to try to persuade voters. And if you're a media owner and you rely upon media advertising for your budget to some extent, as many media operatives do, that's in budgets. Uh, you're much better off if you have a television or radio station or a newspaper in Detroit or Philadelphia or Phoenix or Atlanta than you are if you have one in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, or Houston. So it, that's just the way it is. And unfortunately, the Electoral College enables uh, somebody to become leader of the free world. And it's the only election in America that I'm aware of where you can get fewer votes than your opponent and win. Mark, thank you today. Always a pleasure. We'll be calling again next week, my friend. Well, thank you. Have have a good week and and say hey to Tyler for me. Will do. And he is on deck. And Tyler Bridges, good morning to you, sir. The two-time Pulitzer winner who is back from another special session. Uh, You're spending more time at the Capitol than I think you thought you would when you returned to Louisiana. No matter who the governor is, it appears we have a, a number of special sessions. Yeah, it. Uh, I live in New Orleans, and I've been spending a lot of bat- time in Baton Rouge, and uh, certainly legislators from all over the state have been spending a lot more time in Baton Rouge than maybe they would like, although obviously they want to try to get changes. But uh, uh, there have been a lot of special sessions, and legislators don't make a lot of money. No, they don't, and uh, I've come around. I think they are underpaid, but uh, they know the political danger in trying to change that, and um it is, it is remarkable that uh, we have a football coach at Louisiana State University who makes well over $10 million a year, and the governor of Louisiana makes 130000 And many, almost, well, many, all of his cabinet secretaries make more than the governor. How, how does that happen, Tyler? Well, it, it would be very difficult for a governor to try to, to raise his salary because uh, he would be attacked for that. Um, and legislators also face that same problem uh, with the sixteen thousand uh, dollars that they make uh, as the statutory pay. Eight seven seven two one seven five seven five seven, and we will certainly get Tyler's take on the crime session. But uh, Tyler has been covering Louisiana politics now uh, for well over thirty years, and uh, he knew John Bro well. And today is the 80th birthday, as we noted with Mark, of John Berlinger Bro. And Daryl Hunt sent this uh, email. He says, if memory serves me, his runoff opponent in 1972 when Bro won his congressional seat at 28 was Gary Tyler, a weatherman for a Lake Charles television station. And Bro's race cost uh, (laughs) $48,000. Here we got Garrett Graves, who I think has close to $4 million in the bank. And he's all dressed up and no place to go. Uh, but $4 million might not be able to get him into a, a situation where he could win a six-term on Capitol Hill. Isn't that something? 48000 in 1972, and $4 million might not even cut it in 2024. 
something happened. Yeah, obviously, yeah, these races have gotten incredibly expensive. But just a quick word, Jim, about John Bro, who I've, I have gotten to know over the years and remain in touch with him, was John Bro is extremely, he was extremely good as a campaigner, you know, that sort of retail st- side of politics. He, he was an exuberant guy on the campaign trail, and, and voters really liked that. But there are some guys or women like that who are not so effective uh, inside the Capitol, but, but John Bro is equally um, effective inside the Capitol, um, representing his sort of moderate, I don't say conservative democratic position. He was also criticized at times for being too, um, too conservative on certain things, but uh, he was a very, very effective uh, legislator and campaigner and had a long career in politics as a result. Well, today, if you're a, quote, pragmatist and occasionally cross the aisle, you're, you're probably going to get in big trouble. And, and Bill Cassidy may very well find that out in 2026 when he runs for reelection and has the taint. And I say taint because he is a Republican and he'll be running in a closed primary, it appears, of uh, being a person who voted to impeach Donald Trump and uh, also voted to uphold a fairly fought election that Trump lost. So that will be two strikes against him, and we'll see how it goes. But John Bro was a persuasive fellow, and I think Clarence Thomas owes his U.S. Senate seat to, or not, excuse me, his U.S. Supreme Court seat to John Bro. It was Bro who convinced six other Southern Democrats to vote for Clarence Thomas, including Bennett Johnston, and the vote was 52 to 48. I, I suspect that's not something that John Bro would name as one of his shining accomplishments, Tyler. No, and obviously uh, John Bro is, uh, uh, was a, a guy who was willing to work with Republicans and give wins to Republicans if he thought it was in the best interest uh, of the country. But clearly that was one of the most consequential votes that uh, Senator Bro took during his long uh, career in Washington. Perhaps the most consequential vote. Clarence Thomas has been there now for 33 years. Penny. Yeah, and, no, that's a very, that's a very uh, good point. Penny in New Orleans. Penny, you're on Talk Louisiana. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, my question is about IV, excuse me, IVF, in vitro fertilization. Yes. And we saw in Alabama this egregious and unconstitutional decision uh, which quoted the Bible. <clears throat> so my question is, with regard to the Louisiana legislature, do we see this year or perhaps future years uh, uh, similar, what I would call anti-women legislation? Are we going to go the route of Alabama, Tyler, and, and ban uh, embryos in Louisiana? You know, it's a great question, Jim, and I, and I don't have an answer. Um, the, the last, uh, what is it, 10 days or so uh, in Baton Rouge, the focus has been on the special session, very narrowly focused on uh, Governor Landry's um, uh, get tough on crime agenda. And I, I did not hear this come up with a single legislator. Now, in about 10 days, in exactly 10 days, uh, I will be back in Baton Rouge and, and a lot of other people will be as the regular session starts. So I think in the coming week, uh, we're going to start to hear some conversation about that. Uh, uh, to see what the legislature might want to do. And Penny may be on to something. It would not be a surprise, would it, if Louisiana went the same way as Alabama on an issue like this? 
Yeah, I think Louisiana, uh, the uh, anti-abortion crowd has prided itself on being uh, on Louisiana being perhaps the most anti-abortion state in the country. And uh, over the years, uh, the uh, conservatives, the legislature and even some Democrats as well have uh, voted to make it more and more difficult to have an abortion state when it was legal. So this could certainly be something mm-hmm. they're going to try to get done uh, in the upcoming regular session. We're about to go to a break, but I do want to note that yesterday would have been the 80th birthday of Jim Brady, close, close friend of John Bro, who, of course, was responsible for his ascension to uh, the federal bench. And John uh, Jim Brady got rave reviews for his work as a federal judge in Baton Rouge. And he was the chair of the Democratic Party at one time, and you knew him well too, did you not? Yeah, and and I, I think probably a, a political, a very political appointee like that could come under would come under a lot of criticism these days. But a, a, a guy like Jim Brady shows that uh, he can be a good judge, in despite of having you know pretty partisan leanings. Well, he was a smart man and a. a a fair man, a fair person, and as a result of that, he was an extremely good judge. And he was a person who was very charitable to everybody he encountered. We'll talk more after this. This is Jim Inkster. We're in the home stretch. Another quarter hour to go with Tyler Bridges, one of the best in the business. He's written long-form books like Long Shot about the 2015 governor's election with Jeremy Alford. Bad Bet on the Bayou, The Rise and Fall of David Duke has quite a collection of works, including one about his father and one about the memorable Stanford-California football game in the year of 1982. But he is covering the Capitol for the Times-Picayune and the Advocate. And uh, we'll get to, I think we'll be able to get to all of you, but uh, there is a line open if you'd like to grab it and and get in with Tyler before we finish. 877-217-5757. But what was your assessment of... Uh, this this session as a whole, uh, Jeff Landry's tough on crime package, one passage, uh, almost unabated, and it has some measures that, of course, uh, involve more access to guns, more access to the death penalty, and meaning more people will be in jail for longer periods. What are your thoughts, Tyler? Well, on the political front, clearly uh, the new governor had a very, very good session uh, his people tell me that uh, all 20 bills that he wanted to get passed indeed got passed. And as you noted, um, there were some changes, but almost in, he, he got just about everything he wanted in those 20 bills. But I was struck by the arguments of Democrats who are, said that uh, there is a lack of data showing that um, that these bills would actually improve public safety. And remember, Jim, as you know, Louisiana is either number one or two already in the country in the incarceration rate. And uh, you know, how much higher does the state need to go? That's, I think that's an interesting question. And also, Republicans were not able to answer questions about how much all of this would cost. And with uh, the 0.45 cent uh, sales tax expiring next year, um, and at the time that the legislature is, is adding costs mm-hmm. to the, uh, for, for government, uh, what's going to happen then? 877-217-5757. Charles in New Orleans. Charles, good morning. You're on with Tyler Bridges. Good morning, y'all. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I'm, of course, have been listening intently, and I'm just curious to know, 
um, calling from New Orleans. How does our so-called home rule charter affect all of this, um, especially considering that we are supposed to, as a city, have a little bit more control from Baton Rouge? Um, I know me and the city, I'm not entirely looking forward to having uh, people being able to conceal carry without a permit. Um, you know, and there's other things too, like how I am concerned about how nonviolent crime, like things, how something as simple as marijuana possession uh, might now be more prosecuted, more uh, considering that they're considering send, uh, sending the state police here. Thank you, Charles. Uh, Tyler, your neighbor in New Orleans, what do you think? Well, I, I'm certainly no legal expert, but I, I think I know that uh, state law trumps local law. And I did not hear any arguments from the, the New Orleans legislators uh, saying that this would not apply. These new laws would, would not apply to New Orleans. So I, I think uh, these 20 bills passed by the legislature are going to affect uh, uh, the entire state, including New Orleans. And, yeah, as uh, Charles noted, there will be people will now be able to uh, carry a handgun without a permit. And, uh, you know, the, 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 there's a number of other changes. And again, um, the criminologists uh, have put forth arguments saying that uh, there's no evidence that these changes will actually make people safer. But uh, the governor uh, and the conservatives who control the legislature put forth very powerful and emotional arguments uh, about why these changes were needed. And, and they marshaled their forces very effectively. And Governor Landry was on this show um not so long ago, as in last week, he said you can't carry, even with the new law, you can't carry a gun into a bar, for example. But that's still yeah, or within or Yeah, or near a school. I, uh, uh, yeah, there are certain restrictions um, that, that, are, that, are, that are included. Um, and uh, so obviously people are hoping that this will lead to uh, uh, less crime, but we'll see. James and Metairie. Hello, James. You're on with Tyler. Hi, Jim. Good morning, and thank you. Hi, Tyler. Uh, Jim, it seems like, unlike most elections, presidential elections, it looks like the economy may not be the number one issue. Mike Johnson, just the other day, reminded President, uh, well, President, the so-called President, Donald Trump, that the number one issue is the open border. Now, how crazy is the, the intensity of the feelings? Under a bill advancing in the Arizona legislature, a property owner would be able to kill or shoot uh, or threaten to shoot anybody crossing their property to illegally enter the U.S. Your comment, your thoughts on that. Thanks, Jim. All right. Um, well, we used to have a shoot the, we still do. It's on the books, I believe. Shoot the burglar bill in Louisiana. If somebody is in your house, you've got the right to take them out. But uh, on your property, um, and by the way, I think this is a proposed bill, but but people have gone, uh, they, they've gone really, uh, intently on this uh, immigration bill and republicans obviously know it's working it's polling well um we've got more employment in the u.s now than we've ever had so i don't know that these so-called illegal immigrants are taking that many jobs away from people who want to work but your thoughts tyler about the the political mojo that uh, being tough on illegal immigration has in this country well, let me just bring it back to Louisiana. Um, and I was struck that the legislature in the session that just ended, that they allocated $3 million to send National Guard troops from Louisiana yep. to the Texas border for 
um, what exactly they'll be able to do is not clear. But at the same time, they rejected spending $3 million in state money to pull down $75 million in federal money to provide uh, food for kids during the summer, uh, poor kids during the summer. Uh, I thought that was a striking uh, um, uh, comparison. 877-217-5757. Stuart in downtown Baton Rouge. Stuart, you're on with Tyler. Good morning. Why, as always, Jim, thanks. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Tyler, in the audience. Tyler, with, with Louisiana having the, quote, triple threat of being, if not the, one of the most impoverished and uh, illiterate um, and um, rate and uh, with, with mental illness running rampant in this state. Um, do you think that this is a recipe for disaster and uh, turning this place into the wild, wild south with this new carry thing without a um, permit and what have you? All right. Is this going to change uh, life as we know it, Tyler, in Louisiana? Well, I, I guess I would simply make the point to, to Stuart is, you know, elections have consequences and uh, the Democrats couldn't get their people out to vote. Uh, this year. And uh, for whatever reason, they stayed home. And as a result, we have a, a two-thirds majority of the legislature. We have a conservative governor. And so now that they're in office, they're going to make the changes that they want to make. And part of those changes is the philosophy that the best way to go is to free up business as much as you can. And, be, and that business investment will lead to taxes that will pay for the things, the services of government. Obviously, the Democrats have a different philosophy but Republicans are in control. And a listener asks about uh, your surprise. If you are, I remember our friend James Carville said a year ago, no way it's going to be Biden or Trump on the ballot. But here we are eight months from an election, eight months and four days. Looks like that's a choice uh, Louisiana and the rest of the country will have, Tyler. Well, it certainly looks like it right now, Jim. Uh, it's quite possible that the poll numbers will be uh, continue not to be good enough for Biden that at some point he could just simply say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, make way for somebody else. And uh, Trump, well, he just never know with Trump, do you? Um, and he's got mm -hmm. those trials. And so uh, let's, let's see, but certainly right now uh, it does look like a, a rematch from four years ago. You know, and a listener uh, commented the other day and uh, said it didn't sound right, but it is Trump would be the first, person on a ballot for president three straight times, three straight times by his party uh, in three straight elections since Roosevelt in 1932, 36, and 1940. And of course, FDR was also on the ballot in 44 and won just before he died in his last term. But uh, Biden, if he wins, and I believe this is accurate, I, I, I've, I'm doing this from memory, but I, I don't know of any person who was ever elected vice president twice and president twice. So he would go down as one of the historical figures in American history. He'd be the first to do that and be four and O in national elections. Richard. Well, what Nixon, about Richard, R Richard Nixon? No, Nixon, Nixon was uh, four and one. You're right. He did win. He did win twice. He did not serve all his last term, but you're correct. That's good. But he did lose once. Of course, he lost the presidency uh, on the national ticket in 1960 to Kennedy, but you're right. He did win twice as VP and twice as, as president. I'm glad you brought that out, but he was four and one as was Roosevelt who lost a race for vice president as well. Biden would be four and oh, now he ran for president, but lost, 
before the nomination. So he would be four and zero. Roosevelt was four and one. Nixon was four and one. So he will go down if he wins as one of the most successful politicians in American history. Tyler Bridges. Well, of course, that's a big if right now. With the polls not looking as strong as uh, uh, certainly as the president would, President Biden would like. Well, this is reminiscent since you wrote the book Long Shot about the 2015 election. John Bell Edwards wanted David Vitter, and David Vitter wanted John Bell Edwards. Well, I think Donald Trump wants Joe Biden, and Joe Biden wants Donald Trump. Yeah, they they certainly do, and I think it's a it's a very personal, from what I can tell, a very personal idea that uh, they want to vanquish the other. But obviously, there's incredible, incredible stakes here. Yeah, there are incredible stakes, and uh, there are perhaps going to be some trials as well. And the Supreme Court cannot stop the action in New York State Court. Thank you, Tyler Bridges. Always a pleasure. And thank you for listening. Have a great week. Until next time, I'm Jim Inkster. Stay safe and stay tuned.